one of the things that was fascinating for me after my diagnosis was that I had this moment where I was like, my husband, I am the person he loves most in the world. I am the person he has chosen as his life partner. And here I am just dumping on myself all the time. And I was like, I kind of owe it to this relationship to bring my best self to this relationship and to give myself a break. Welcome to the ADHD Lounge Podcast. Whether you are someone with ADHD or a learning disability or just curious to learn more, come hang out with us in our lounge. I'm Alex. I'm a mom, a New Yorker, a Mets fan, a yogi, and a brunch enthusiast. I also happen to be diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD at the age of eight. I'm the founder of Capable Consulting, a coaching and consulting business that supports adults with learning disabilities and or ADHD. And I'm Katie, an ADHD advocate, coach, mom, author, founder of Women in ADHD, and I host the popular Women in ADHD podcast. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and now I have made it my mission to help neurodivergent adults learn to love their brains. In each episode, we'll be diving deep into the world of ADHD, discussing unique challenges, sharing our personal stories, providing support and resources, and bringing in experts to help us along the way. You can also find the two of us over at the ADHDlounge.com, an all-in-one ADHD coaching community for personalized guidance, goal planning, skill building, expert roundtables, and so much more to help you make the most of your amazing brain and live life to the fullest. So grab your favorite drink, maybe a croissant, grab a seat, or start walking or cleaning or however you choose to listen, because at the ADHD Lounge, you can come exactly as you are. All right, welcome to episode eight of the ADHD Lounge podcast. This is part two of our series on ADHD and relationships. Alex and I are here. We're going to follow up on the conversation that we had with Stephen and Aaron Mitchell. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go listen to that episode first and then come back because uh, we're. I think we're probably going to be referencing that amazing conversation a lot today. Yes, definitely. And it's not just necessarily relationships like a partner of like marriage. All of the things that we talked about are related to if it's a roommate, if it's a family member, if it's a friend that you're living with, or even some coworkers and have how to have these conversations. So it's definitely worth a listen. And we'll dive into the parts that are, you know, related to our life in terms of relationships and everything in between. Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of what we talked about, and I'm sure a lot of what we'll talk about today comes down to communicating our needs, right? And articulating who we are in the moment, which I think is something that quite unique to people with ADHD as in terms of a difficulty. Is the difficulty communicating exactly how we're feeling? And a lot of the time that shows up in partnerships. Yes, definitely. I think one of my favorite parts of the conversation was just Erin had expressed what she was feeling in terms of like the mental load of taking on everything when it came to their household and their daughters. And I feel like this mental load is used a lot in parenting, but I think the mental load of, of work and home life in general just takes on a new meaning. And when you get really stressed and overwhelmed, you tend to say things off your tongue because we, well, we just do. We just say things and it's not always interpreted the way we are perceiving it. And this kind of turned on its head a little bit because they were talking about a reel that they posted of what Aaron said versus what Stephen heard. And I think this would be really interesting to kind of 
talk through. I don't know, Katie, if you have examples of something you've said or, or like what your husband thought he heard you say. I think where it shows up the most is when I am angry and I'm venting and my husband immediately sets into like, I need to fix this mode. And then the argument becomes about the fact that I'm like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just mad. And I need you to listen. Whereas he feels like, why are you yelling at me? Why are you mad at me? Because he sort of feels hopeless about trying to fix that. And I never knew if that was a neurodivergent, neurotypical thing. I feel like it's a much more of a gendered male, female thing. I don't know if there's sort of always somebody in a partnership who feels that way. But that was definitely a communication issue we've had. historically that has changed dramatically since my diagnosis. It just in terms of even asking uh, the question, do you want advice now? Are you just venting? Like, what do you need from me as the listener? And I feel like my husband has grown immensely just even in asking that, you know, when we're in a situation, because I vent a lot and I feel like it's, it's a lot of the time our arguments would come from me venting and him feeling like I was angry at him. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I was just with my cousin and she said that almost exact phrase to me over the weekend when it came to her kids, which was, do you want to vent or do you want advice? Because it's like, if you want to vent, I'm here for a hug. I'm here to listen. But if you want advice, like let's talk it through together. And I thought even just how you described that was so beautifully said because I could say things to my husband and he'll start like yelling at a response. I was like, I didn't change the tone in which I was complaining. Like I complained like, Oh, the apartment is a mess. That doesn't necessarily mean I was expecting you to fix it. It was more like I'm saying this out loud because I process out loud and how he interpreted it was like, well, now I have to drop everything I'm doing to fix it. And it's like, I didn't, I didn't say that. I, I find I catch myself all the time where I'm like, oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. He's like, you just asked me to do six other things. And I said, I don't mean right now, but he hears right now. And I think that that's so fascinating. I don't know if that is necessarily like an ADHD thing, or is it just how we process information? Yeah, right. Just like you said, like, I'm saying this out loud, just to to say it. it's like, I'm adding it to my verbal to do list. And I'm saying it out loud so that you are my witness that we have to do this. But they but both it sounds like our husbands are similar in the way that they're like, they hear it as an, a direct order coming from us, which is like, you need to do this the same way that we kind of joke, like my husband will say, we need to call the vet. And I'm like, there's no we you're telling me to call the vet because there's no scenario in which you call the vet. Um, So we kind of joke about the ways in which each of us uses the term we need to do this. Yes, I find that all the time. Like, we really need to take out the garbage. And he looks at me. He's like, when have you ever taken out the garbage? (laughs) Right? Yeah. No, (laughs) garbage is not my department. Anything icky and gross? No. Not not my my cup of tea, but I feel like that that really happens a lot in the workplace too. That I even found that in jobs that I was in, where I would start going through lists of people, like of things that I needed to do, and I would say that to people, and they're like, "So is that so is that for me? Is that for me?" I'm like, "Oh, wait, you can hear me." I like forget that I talk out loud, 
That's fascinating. I think I, I definitely, I mean, I'm definitely an out loud processor like you are. I'm curious when you asked that question, were you thinking of something specific in your own, in your own relationship? I was, I was actually thinking about a conversation I had with my brother over Thanksgiving, the words that he chose to me, how I felt rejected. And there's a lot of emotional dysregulation that comes with people who have ADHD and learning disabilities. And it wasn't just words that I say, it's how I interpret words and words that were chosen to be said to me that I like flip out. So last Thanksgiving, and I was just telling the story, this is why it's front of mind. But last Thanksgiving, we were at my parents, it was like, really chaotic. I ended up cooking all of Thanksgiving dinner when I had a four month old baby and was exclusively pumping. So I spent the entire day in the kitchen, like managing everything else. My sister-in-law was trying to help and then managed to spill an entire glass of wine on my white shirt after I had finally gotten dressed. And I just was on the verge of tears. And my husband like called out to me. He's like, Hey, can you come over here? Cause he just wanted to show me like how cute our daughter looked and the outfit that he put her in. And I was like, what? And my brother said to me, why are you pissed off? He's doing everything. And I was like, Oh my God, you did not just say that to me. And I lost my mind. I lost my mind because it was like, uh, he's doing everything. I was like, what did you miss? Because I just did three different pumping sessions and cooked an entire dinner for like 10 people. What do you mean he's doing everything? And I like put that in perspective of what are, what are you doing that is not seen by your partner, by your family, by your friends? And then someone says something to you and you take a step back and it's like, so everything I was doing is like imaginary. Is it behind closed doors? Like, how do you not see all the things that I'm doing? And when you have someone say something back to you that feels hurtful, how it just exploded. I mean, he didn't mean I was doing nothing. He was saying that he was taking care of my daughter through all the chaos of everything else. Like, don't be upset at him. And I couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Well, and not only that, but just like the emotional dysregulation of going from like, from zero to rage so quickly is something I think a lot of us experience with ADHD. Because there's so much behind that, right? Where you're like, oh, you immediately thought of all the things that were happening in the background. And so you leapt to that rage really quickly. And so everybody else around you is like, whoa, somebody's touchy, right? Like the reactions are always, which makes it worse, right? Which is like, oh, God, you know, and I, I've talked about this so many times on my podcast, which is just that idea of like, feeling like everybody was walking around on eggshells around me. And then I felt guilty that I was this terrible partner, this terrible mother, like always feeling frustrated that we're, re that we're acting differently from how we feel, right? Like if you could only understand what's behind all of this, there's just so many things that kind of dominoes that fall really quickly for us that send us from zero to rage really quickly. And I think it's something to pay attention to and, and certainly something I monitor now. And thankfully have a language for, which is something I'm really grateful for with the, with this diagnosis is being able to recognize in the moment, oh, this is why I'm so angry. And so you were able to articulate to your brother, like, uh, hello, you know, being able to say in the moment, like, that's ridiculous. All these things I did 
secretly. I don't think a lot of the time when we're undiagnosed, we see that or can our, can communicate that we're just angry and we don't know why. Right. But I have seen that in so many facets of my life. And that communication style takes a really long time to not only understand, I always say that this comes with like, you mentally, I think I even said this in another episode, you, you intellectually understand, but emotionally can't connect. It's like, I understood what he was trying to say to me, but emotionally I was already stressed and anxious and frustrated and tired. And I just didn't need one more thing. And I think that when we are frustrated and it's not just of all the things that we're doing, but it's the frustration of, let's say you need something to be fixed. Like I've yelled at, I yelled at my boss once because she was in the process of hiring somebody else and told me she would bring me in on the process because this person was going to be taking things off my plate. And then I saw the job description and it had nothing that we talked about like being taken off my plate. And I flipped out because I'm like, you're going to hire a very different person. She was on vacation and I wrote her an email and she called me and was like, are you joking? Like this is, this is the, I have a very, I had a very good relationship with her. I still do. But like, she called me out like, this is, this is how you're going to conduct yourself. And I find that a lot of people that I work with are in conversations like this, whether it's at home or it's with their friends or their family or their workplace, because they can't articulate what it is that they are struggling with to be able to say, this is what my needs are. And this is what support looks like. I mean, that's one of the executive functions is self-regulation and kind of stopping and thinking before you act. And so when we talk about impulsivity and ADHD, this is, it falls under this umbrella of like speaking without thinking and really like taking the time to, you know, say, is this, is this the way I want to conduct myself right now? Um, And yeah, I, I feel like that when you think about that, characteristic and all the ways in which it manifests in terms of our different relationships, just, you know, not only with our intimate relationships, but our bosses and coworkers. And I think of all the, all the times I've been fired or, or left a job because of basically being totally unprofessional in terms of my, how I talk to people. Yeah. Because it's just so frustrating. And that's what I'm talking about that. Like when we were talking about relationships, this is really, Everything. I mean, I know people who struggle with relationships in general because of how they communicate. People are like, oh, they're a hothead or, you know, they have a bad temper or they just can't connect to what they need. And I just I can't be on the outside of this anymore. So I would love to ask you, like, what was one of the tangible examples? Because they Aaron and, and Stephen talked about so many examples of like how they had conversations. I'm wondering if there was something that you were like, that was an aha moment for me. I feel like one of the things that has really improved since my diagnosis in my marriage is just how willing and able we are to kind of talk through the fact that we're a team. And so like, for instance, the other day, all four of us were driving. We were, I w- we were picking, it was Friday night. We were picking, dropping my kids off at a weekend retreat camp. And so there was a bunch of luggage in the trunk. I was driving. I don't know why I was driving. I think my husband was not feeling well, but because usually I'm like, I, if the, you know, we fall into that role where he drives if it's the two of us because I hate driving. 
Um, so anyway, I was driving and about five minutes into the drive, there was something rattling in the trunk and it was driving me crazy. And I was like, what is that rattling? Can somebody look and see what that rattling is? It needs to stop. And my daughter was in the back seat and she's like trying to figure out what it is and what's rubbing against each other. And like everybody in my family kind of knew that this was really a big deal for me. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. 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 And so, and my husband was sort of like, he was like, okay, well, do you, do you want to pull over? Like, you know, or do you feel like you can get through this? Do you, you know, and I was like, maybe just knowing what it is will help. But like, we had a whole very productive conversation about what my needs were, you know, and there wasn't like, there was no dismissing, like, what's wrong with you? It's fine. You know, and I think there might have been in the past, either I would have internalized that, or there would have been like a, oh, somebody's crazy, you know, somebody's had a bad day, or like some of the ways in which we can be very dismissive of the people we love, and make a joke out of it. Whereas I felt like everybody in the in the car was like, Oh, yeah, we see how much this is bothering mom. And we also like, we know that if this continues, and it's not addressed that like, she might like veer off the road or so like I felt like there was just I don't know I just felt like very aware in the moment that everybody was on my side whereas I've you know I think feel like there would have been times in the past where something like that where it was like a real weird thing to describe that how much things like that distract you and take over your like cognitive abilities that would have been something that would have like but it laughed off or dismissed, or I would have been like, Oh, somebody's somebody can't handle something. That validation though is so big. And I mean, I, I think I could think of like so many scenarios as a kid where I would have been dismissed. Like I didn't understand. It was like, no, you'll figure it out. It's like, but would I, or I would like have an outburst and it was like, Oh, this is one of her moods. And it's like, well, why am I having that mood? Like I couldn't articulate it. But the fact that as an adult, you could articulate it, that everybody heard you, everyone validated what you were feeling, and you were frustrated. They're like, okay, we're on team mom. We're gonna fix this, because it's going to really make a big difference. Like, I think that that's also really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now, what about you? Is there something that comes to mind? Because I feel like I have so many questions just in, because you were already diagnosed with ADHD. Like, I feel like my marriage has shifted profoundly since my diagnosis. But I'm curious with you, like, how much does it come up in conversation in terms of how you guys relate? Oh, my God, every day. I mean, it's every day. I think we've like joked that, um, and maybe this is years of co- overcompensation, that I'm input, he's output. When it comes to, I just heard him come in with groceries. I'll put the grocery list together. He'll go pick it up. If I, um, if I see, when actually when we moved into our apartment, I was like, I need to organize so that we can find everything. And I mapped out our our layout of our kitchen with post-it notes, and I was like, let's walk through the routine of how we are going to cook and clean so that we can find everything we need that makes sense to us. I would I would process in a very different way so that I could pull in what his needs were, but also pull in mine. So that was really helpful. But it doesn't mean that every day is perfect or that every system we came up with works for us or anything like that. I will say that uh, about 90% of the 
labels that I printed were spelled wrong and had to be reprinted. So that's where he came in and fixed how I spelled things. Um, anything with a lot of L's or I's or S's, just forget it. So it it's a constant conversation. I need to organize in a in a certain way so that I can process or I need to talk out loud. So these kinds of conversations happen a lot. But I remember there was a conversation where my husband was meeting me at my parents' house. I was already at my parents' house and he was putting together a list or he was putting together our daughter's bag to go for the weekend. And I put together a list for him. And it was like a list that I always use every time we went somewhere. So it was like her sleep sacks and the, and whatever it was that was on the list. And he got to my parents' house and I looked at the bag. I go, what did you pack exactly? Like, what did you, what did you look at? Where, where, how did you even do this? And he's like, I packed what I thought through. I was like, but you didn't look at the list. And we talked about it. And I was really annoyed because there were so many things that were missing. And we got home and we talked about it. And he said, I don't think that way. I don't think that way. I don't think in terms of lists or at least where the list was, was not in a place that I was able to check easily. He's like, if you put it on my calendar or attached a link to this list, or if you had reminded me with some kind of reminder to look at this list, I will look at this list, but that's not where I'm normally going. And I thought that that was a really interesting perspective to say, like, he doesn't have to think like me. He doesn't have to organize like me. He doesn't have to process the same way. But as long as I was listening to what his needs were, it made it easier for both of us to get what we need. And I think Aaron and, and Stephen had talked about that a lot too, which I thought was really beautiful. Yeah. You were just, as you were talking, it was reminding me of my husband, like leaving the apartment with our daughter in a stroller and like with nothing. And and like, <laughs> it used to drive me crazy because I would leave with, you know, a diaper bag full of like six pairs of clothes and enough diapers to get us through a month in the tundra. Like I was the one who always was super prepared. And somehow I felt like it was an affront to me that he would leave the house with nothing. And then I would always be kind of like, well, if he's with nothing, he'll have to deal with it, right? Like, and he would always come home and be fine with his choices. And I think that reminded me of the fact that a lot of the time, empowering our partners to make their own beds and lie in them, I guess, in some ways, <laughs> can go of really far. Like, I felt like as long as he wasn't blaming me for not like if, you know, if Barry wasn't blaming you because he didn't have all the things that were on your list, I mean, yes, it's un it's uncomfortable for you, but I think also maybe it really, you realize that you can make it through without half the things that were on that list and it wasn't the end of the world. I mean, it, it wasn't, but it was it was more that I felt like I had prepared him for all the things that I would have needed. And that was the difference. I prepared him with all the things that I needed. I didn't help prepare him for everything that he needed. He thinks differently. We both come at this from a different angle. So me having this conversation, and it's not that he's not a capable parent, he's a phenomenal parent. But in terms of what I talked about earlier, like I'm the input, he's the output. He'll follow through on all the things that I have absolutely no interest in following through on, as long as I could put it together and vice versa. So I needed to really think, what did he need? And how could he articulate what he needed? And I think that that really goes a long way for a lot of my clients. I mean, I coach people um, two-on-one sessions for this exact reason, because I've had couples who are like, oh, 
you know, my spouse leaves all the clothes on the floor and he does this and he does that. Or I'll have, you know, some of my, my male clients say like, well, my wife is always telling me that we need to do this or I need to help out more. And I was like, okay, let's take a step back. What are you doing? What are they doing? What are you saying? How is it being interpreted? And we like take apart a very particular scenario. If it's laundry, how does putting the laundry away, how would it make it easier for you to do it? And it's like, well, I need to visualize it. So we made clear bins so that they could put things away or have labels. Like if you're following somebody else's system and it doesn't work for you, you're not going to follow through. And I think that that's where a lot of people really butt heads and, and, Aaron and Stephen were talking about that a lot too. He was like, I wanted to do things a certain way. And was like, this is what makes sense. And she was like, I don't want to do that. Like that feels very restricting. Yeah, right. And it kind of reminds me of this adage with parenting, which is, you know, the to always assume that the desire to do well is there, right? And so if they're not doing it, if they're not, if they're not able to complete or approach the task, then the question becomes not whether they want to or don't always assume they want to. So figure out what support they need to get there. And I feel like that kind of falls in with what you're saying with this idea that like, if somebody's trying to do a system by my rules, there's it's going to have so much baggage in terms of all my expectations, and they're disappointing me and all of that, where it's like, how can I empower them to figure out their own way. And how can I support them in that? Right. I mean, that was why when we walked through our kitchen, we walked through what both of our needs were in our kitchen so that we could create a system that made sense for us. You know, we joked about this in the last episode that like we put a shoe rack at the front because it made sense. But all of a sudden we're realizing like there is about 50 pairs of shoes like sitting at the front that are not going in the rack. Like, do we need to rethink this? Like who's at fault for this? I don't know. But like, Clearly that doesn't work and we need to figure out something that works for both of us. But being in a place where you can hear what the other person is saying, I find that I often say this to clients too. This is what I'm saying. What did you hear? And I say that often when when you feel like you're frustrated and you're expressing how you are feeling and what is physically mentally emotionally bothering you and and you're saying to the other person like it's important to check in like what did they hear because they might have completely taken out of context what you were saying and you might need to reframe what you're saying because everybody thinks and learns differently yeah and i think that that's something that i feel like happens in couples counseling a lot which might be a great practice in any relationship, which is to just get used to repeating back, you know, just get used to active listening and repeating back to your partner what you're hearing them say um, when you are having conflict, because a lot of the time that can bring up some of those issues in terms of like, is what I'm hearing similar to what you're saying? I also feel like you're probably just hyper-focused on what you're learning at school right now, which is probably so much of this. So like, I am fully engaged if you want to nerd out and tell me like some of what I don't think everybody knows this, but Katie has gone back to school and is here. I'll let you explain what your degree is in. No, it is. It's blowing my mind. Um, So yeah, so I've gone back to grad school to uh, become a mental health counselor to become a therapist. So we're yeah, it's it's been really fascinating to think about 
not only how I work with clients as a coach and kind of how that's shifting and changing and but also like what skills I already have versus what skills I really need to work on. (laughs) But yeah, it's really it has it's already I'm seeing it affecting how I talk to my children, how I talk to my husband. And yeah, it's awesome. I'm loving it. But even like, as you said, like leaning into what you're good at and what you're not, I think that that was also part of this whole conversation was that like each person in a relationship, and again, this is not necessarily just like a romantic relationship, each person in a relationship when it comes to your friendships or your roommates or your family has a strength and has the thing that they're not great at. And it's okay for you to lean into the one that you're good at and help lean on them for the things that you're not. And I, I would love to know like what, how is your approach on this changed? Cause I know it has changed tremendously in terms of your communication. You've mentioned that a few times. Yeah. I think the biggest change for me is, was being able to, like you said, pay more attention to what both of us was bringing to the table. I think before my diagnosis, I paid a lot of attention to what I wasn't bringing to the table and feeling really bad about it and uh, dumping on myself a lot and feeling terrible and feeling a lot of guilt that I was a bad partner and a bad mom. And I was just sort of stuck in this place. And, you know, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety after both of my kids. So This was a real issue in my relationship. And I think one of the things that was fascinating for me after my diagnosis was that I had this moment where I was like, my husband, I am the person he loves most in the world. I am the person he has chosen as his life partner. And here I am just dumping on myself all the time. And I was like, I kind of owe it to this relationship to bring my best self to this relationship and to give myself a break. And so what that looked like was instead of comparing myself to like, oh, you know, I always felt like he was such a better dad than I was because he would sit on the floor and play with the kids when they were little for hours and he would always have so much energy and I felt like I was always exhausted and angry and and always just, you know, wanted a break. And and I realized that like he was really good at sitting on the floor with the kids. And I like, rather than feeling guilt about the fact that I wasn't that parent, I just decided to like have gratitude for the fact that he was. And it was like, we had this whole long parenting checklist and he had this part covered and I had the other parts covered, but it took work to focus and actually think about what I had covered, (laughs) which was a lot, obviously. And I think, you know, I had to do some really active, intentional paying intentional attention to what I was bringing to the table. And so we, I could look at the two of us as partners instead of always feeling like partners who complemented each other and then feeling like, okay, at least one of us has all of these things covered. Kind of like you were saying before with input and output, it's like, as long as one of us is okay with doing this job, then great. Like let's move on and, and really focus on, you know, complementing each other as partners. Totally. And I think, again, I'm going to bring this how it it really is extending itself to not just romantic partners, because I think it is, I think what you said is like so beautifully articulated, but it's, it's also recognizing what the other person is bringing to the table. Because I think for a lot of people, I know a lot for my clients, they feel like they're not recognized for the things that they do. 
And so I reverse this practice of how can I show my partner? How can I show people who worked for me how much I appreciate and see all the things that they do? Because then it brings to the forefront, oh, I'm glad they see me for what I'm doing and they notice and maybe they'll bring to my attention, things that they noticed for me too. So it was kind of like, I'm going to give you what I need to. A little reverse psychology, but at least it is it is like a level of respect that has to go all the way around to say, I might not be the best at this, but I'm so grateful that you are so much better at this than me. And see like what is coming back in return, because I'm sure that there's lots of strengths that you were bringing that your husband could say like, oh my God, Kate, I think you even said before we got on this call, like, if mom wasn't here, who would order the pizza? It's like, yeah, like, you know, sometimes that's where your role is. And I'm not, I'm not saying all you do is order the pizza. You obviously do so much more, but it's just like even the littlest things of who's going to order the pizza. Like, I'm glad nobody has let that go unnoticed. Um, yeah, no, before we hit record, we were talking about the, this game that my husband plays with the kids, which is if mom didn't exist, what are all the things that we wouldn't have in this household? And it's always kind of funny because it's not just ordering pizza, although that is a big one. Um, but you know, also just like you would probably, you know, you, like he was always like the kids would never have any after school activities. They would never do anything on the weekends. We would never have like birthday parties or any of that stuff. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, on the flip side, I have worked with a lot of women who are in marriages where the partnership relies on them feeling bad about themselves. And so when sometimes with a diagnosis, your self-esteem can shift dramatically because suddenly you're not looking at a lot of these issues as character flaws anymore. And you're seeing that there's a real reason behind some of these issues. And so you're not dumping on yourself as much as I had said before. And sometimes partnerships get comfortable in one person being the super competent one and one person being the fuck up. And so that's something that I think is worth thinking about if if it feels like that is how your relationship is playing out. I think it's a conversation to have just very openly. Like communication is really important, which is like how do you see me in this relationship? Do you value me? You know, what what's going on and also you know having a lot of just being open and upfront about the fact that your mindset is changing a lot and you know who benefits from me not having self-esteem but i i wonder if the partner who hears that how do i phrase this so let's say you're the the woman you described and you're saying this to let's say it's a heterosexual relationship and it's a husband who hears that he's, he might be hearing, I can't believe that's how she sees herself for the first time. So I think that that also can be really painful to hear because then it makes that person also feel like, did I make them feel this way? Is there something that I'm contributing to making them feel this way? Have I not supported them and not known that? Cause I think that could be really hard and hurtful to hear too. And I've had that with my clients on the other side of this. So that's why I'm like, I'm going to play like that devil's advocate on this because language matters. 
right? Especially if you're married to a problem solver, like we were talking about earlier, where, you know, any issue feels like something that's their fault, and it's something that they have to solve, this can be a really delicate conversation for sure. But you know, relationships really do change. And I think as with this diagnosis, mine certainly did. And so I think it's just something to be aware of and not to try to brush under the rug. <laughs> Uh, with all things with neurodivergence, don't do it alone. Don't, yes, don't do it alone. I was going to say a lot of the clients that I have that are um, late diagnosis are definitely taking the pressure off and trying to explain to their partners, this is why it's difficult. I think even just being able to describe the particular tasks that are difficult and why and putting a name to it and not just saying you are lazy makes a huge difference, not only to your confidence, but their understanding of why this is hard. And I love to be able to even step into that problem solving mode. Once you can continuously recognize that something is hard and why it's hard, then figure out what makes sense for both of you to make it easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like Steven echoed that too, where he just sort of felt like he understood so much of the underlying emotions behind behavior so much better. And I think that, yeah, that can be really, really healing in a relationship for sure. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for episode eight. And we, before we try something new that we have been toying with for these episodes with just Alex and I, we wanted to let you know that next, our next topic that's going to be coming up for the next few episodes is decluttering. Uh, we are going to be interviewing Kayleen Kelly, who is a professional organizer, a huge TikTok star, has a, some amazing systems, works specifically with people with ADHD. Anything else you want to say about Kayleen? I just think that it ties so nicely into this communication style that we were talking about, because so much of this relates to systems of organization that make sense for everybody. And if you could, if you can articulate why you might have 200 t-shirts from college when you haven't been in college for like 20 years, I mean, I think this might help those conversations and help declutter together. So I think this will be a really interesting conversation. You just reminded me of that meme with Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia standing in front of the like investigation board with all the red string everywhere and all the threads being like, it's all connected. And it's like, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is all connected. Well, that's why we're doing all of this, because everything that we talk about is all connected to our diagnosis of ADHD and learning disabilities. So I, this is why it's so beautifully connected. Yeah, so that's great. So stay tuned. That'll be coming out in a couple weeks. So yeah, so before we go, we wanted to try this new segment. Yeah. Is it just me segment? So am I going or did you want to go? I'll go first. So is it just me? Or do you use GPS to go anywhere local? Like even if you've been there a million times, because it's like you just need to know exactly when you are arriving. And also like maybe you forgot which turn. Like, I just need to be reminded. Oh my God. Did you just hear me yesterday? I do this all the time. I, like, I have gone to my daughter's school, like, multiple times. I've gone to my brother. If I don't have the GPS on, I will forget where I'm turning or where I am going. And it is so helpful. Also, if you have an iPhone, Apple Maps is so great for auditory processing because it's like, 
we're not turning at this light. We're turning at the next light. I'm like, that's great. But yes, it's definitely not just you. Yeah, Sari definitely has uh, upped her game in recent years in terms of just giving me way more directions. And I really am here for it. I love it. Oh my God, definitely not just you. So, because it's like, it's so many things, right? There's like the memory issue, there's the working memory issue, but I think there's also the time blindness issue where I'm like, I don't, like, it helps me know when I'm showing up to things because I can never know how long it takes me to get anywhere. Everything sort of feels vaguely like somewhere between 15 minutes and half an hour, but I never quite know. And so it's just easier for me to always use it. Uh, Yeah, I like to know what time I'm getting there. I like to know what turns. I like to know if I'm going the most efficient route. Even if I've like gone there a million times, like there's sometimes there's construction, there's accidents, like you don't know. And sometimes I am just like totally zoned out singing a song that I was like needed to make sure I heard the lyric over and over again. And it was just not the right fit until I like really heard the song. So then, yeah, I forgot the turn. Oh, I know. Well, not only that, but like my husband and I take two separate ways home from Target. Like he takes a different way than I do. And I'm convinced that mine is faster and they really aren't. But his has so many more turns. And I was like, I will do whatever it takes to have fewer turns. I hate turns. And I'm like, what is that about? Is that an ADHD thing? I don't know. Well, because it means you have to pay attention to more things. I don't like slowing down. I think that's it. It's the whole like, I don't like breaking it. I, yeah, I get the not breaking part. The grid system in New York City was like phenomenal because I always knew where I was going. And then when I got to like the village and other places and it was like no longer a grid, I was like, um, Uber? Yeah, it's tr- no, you're right. New York is very ADHD friendly that way in terms of direction. Yes. But yes, I always need GPS even if I know where I'm going. Okay, what's yours? Mine is like, do you get hyper-focused on something and all of a sudden you're not just hyper-focused on one thing. You need to bring in as many, many examples of like, keep going. So yesterday I was cooking. I decided I was going to make my daughter broccoli and then I pulled it out of the microwave and I was like, wow, that looks boring. So I was like, you know what? I'll make it into broccoli tots. And I started making broccoli tots, but then I was like, I don't like this texture. So I turned it into a different form of a broccoli tot. And then I realized they didn't actually make her dinner. So I got hyper focused. I made her dinner. And then my husband was like, um, are you going to make us dinner? I was like, yeah. So I made like four different things, which three version of broccoli tots was included. And then I made dinner and it was like two and a half hours later. So anyone else just like, hyper-focused on way too many things because just one wasn't enough. Um, I feel like I, I shared that story recently where my daughter had like dribbled some iced tea on the dashboard and it was sticky. And I was so frustrated because I couldn't have the stickiness on the dashboard because it was actually like reflecting light. So it was really f- distracting me when I was driving. But I also knew that I couldn't just wipe that spot because the dashboard was was dusty enough that I was going to have to wipe the entire dashboard. And if I wiped the entire dashboard, I was then going to have to move on to the other. I was going to have to do the steering wheel and the seats and the console. And I was like, so annoyed that I couldn't just clean that one thing. <laughs> And so, of course, I didn't. I, like, left it to it for another day, and then I finally cleaned the entire car. Yeah, it's that all-or-nothing thinking. You just have to, like, jump in. It's like, I'm, I'm either going full in or I'm out. But I I say that to my clients, too. Like, in term, if you're, like, in the mood to cook, just, just do it. Because then you can make a whole bunch of things. You can put them in the freezer. I've got plenty of food for this week. So, you know, everybody benefited. Yeah, right? 
It's true, yeah. Surf the momentum. Just minus having to clean it. That was not so fun. <laughs> That's where my hyper focus was like, nah, we're done here. <laughs> um, awesome. All right. And make sure to join us in the ADHD community. You can share your version of the Is It Just Me? We do a lot of that in the community. Um, or you can share it in a review for the podcast, whatever you'd like. So come hang out with us at theadhdlounge.com. And that's a wrap for this episode of the ADHD Lounge Podcast. Thank you for listening and make sure to join us over at ADHDlounge.com. We've got resources, co-working, workshops, and a community of amazing ADHD folks just like yourself. And you can also attend these recordings live where you can ask questions and join in these discussions as they're happening. So make sure to head over to the ADHDlounge.com to join us today and you can find that link in the show notes. And if you've made it this far and you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback means the world to us and it helps us reach more listeners who could benefit from these conversations. Seriously, do it. Go now before you forget. <laughs> <laughs>